This is the Mindful News Podcast and I'm your host Guillaume. And on today's episode we speak with business psychologist, author and coach Dr. Camille Preston. All of my work triangulates around some level of mindfulness, helping mm. leaders step back, get mm-hmm. perspective, be able to think differently and more strategically and tactically about you know what it is they need to do and how they need to operate. And I use this metaphor of an altitude of altitude, like thinking of yourself as a helicopter. Sometimes you're on the ground, you're like in the thick of it, you're looking at everything around. Other times you're at 10,000 feet, 20,000 feet, 30,000 feet, 40,000 feet, 50,000 feet. Mm-hmm. And as you move up as a leader, you need to be able to one, get altitude, but mm-hmm. two, be able to choose what is the right altitude that you need for mm-hmm. each problem, each opportunity. And altitude is another gateway into mindfulness. Sometimes movement, for some people, movement is an easier gateway in. I know that I and a number of my clients, you tell them to sit on a cushion, they're more likely to flip you the bird than sit on the cushion. Um, and, And so telling someone to take a mindful walk listening to music without words or mm. um, to to do an asana like is often a, can be a gateway in to yes. more centered space that um that gets them back into the breath gets them back into the the mental stillness that is what i think is so enriching as i was researching on linkedin i stumbled across dr camille's articles she wrote for in psychology today it was called seven ways mindfulness can improve your business And I love the style and content and I had to reach out to her directly to find out more and help me understand how mindfulness is impacting businesses, management and their teams. Dr. Camille has a BA in psychology at Williams College. She has a PhD in community psychology after travels to Africa, working with the nation's top police executives. Dr. Camille is also the CEO and founder of AIM Leadership, where she lives and shares her passions of igniting leaders and companies from within. Check out AIMleadership.com for more information and great articles on this subject. Also visit mindfulnews.uk for all our podcasts, powerful video clips explaining what mindfulness is and how to practically learn and apply it immediately. And access our growing library of free guided meditations, including this week's latest release called The Mental Push-Up. I'm your host, Guillaume, on our continuing mission to help as many people as possible organically. So if you enjoy the conversation and benefit from it, share it with someone and pay it forward. And finally, this podcast is sponsored by Be Present Coaching, mindfulness tools to live a mindful life and develop a path to happiness, your true self and even spirituality. Check out bepresent.uk for more information on corporate courses and speaking events. It's it's always mega exciting for me when I stumble across an article that just kind of like has me going back to it you know our favorite articles and i'll go back and i'll reread and i'll reference and yours was one of those uh, i believe i found it on a link from linkedin and yeah just mega exciting to say hey rather than just ponder on these questions and ask my friends how about i reach out to the author itself and just dig into that so you were you were so nice in accepting to, to have the conversations we, we, we had a, a quick introductory call and you know this call was very much and this conversation, this podcast was very much to dig in and explore some of those ideas and themes. So thank you so much, Camille. Is it Camille or Camille? Camille? In, in French, we call it Camille with the two L's. That's a good question. If it was, um, 
if you're French, you'd say Camille, but I, Camille. I go by Camille because yeah. I'm just a, you know, generic American. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So with me, Guillaume, the two L's, it would be Guillaume in English, which doesn't sound, yeah. it doesn't roll off the tongue as nicely as uh, Guillaume, yeah. where, where it produces a wine. You know, the funny little thing is I failed phonics in second grade. And <laughs> I have a PhD and master's in lots of letters. Yes. I'm phonetically challenged and my, my son is in second grade and I'm like, I'm traumatized all over again by like long E's and short A's and like all those rules. So. Yeah. Well, when, when we last spoke, you, you, you told me that you'd written a few books and not only are you, you, know, you have your PhD, but you, you know, you have a vast experience in the formal education system, but at the same time, you also have the travel experience of going to Africa and being inspired along the way so i think why don't we just begin things off but if perhaps if you could set a little context into a little background about you mm. about your life experiences and you know some of your education just to so our listeners hold on Have a sense so, of, yeah. that's a that's a good question that's yeah, a broad please. question <laughs> um so i'm the youngest of three which sounds like a strange thing to say is important but i found that at a really young age i always grew up chasing my older brother and sister. So we were all in high school together, all in college together. Um, and it kind of, kind of made me like into hacking at a like young age. And I obviously didn't know, it was, I wouldn't call it hacking back then, but it was like, what are the corners I can keep cut so I don't get left behind? Um, that, was, that was kind of an interesting thing to look back on in life and realize was really seminal. Um, my parents had a rule, they said, they don't care what we do or where we go, as long as it's a place they want to visit. And so after, um, I know it's, it's kind of a broad net of like what is what is viable. And um, being the youngest, my siblings had coined something called being at large. So while many parents kind of wanted their kids to graduate and like get a real job or what have you, my parents were like, as long as you're at large doing something that's making the world a better place, you know, nice. have, yeah. have fun. I know a lot of latitude. Yeah. And so I went overseas and I, um, I initially went to volunteer, but I ended up working for the State Department in Africa. Um, living in um, so the, I was based out of Nairobi, Kenya. So that's the head of mm -hmm. um, a lot of activities. And it was during the time of the Rwanda, um, Burundi crisis, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Malia, Sudanese, the Sudanese war had been going on for, I don't know, a solid five years. And that's it, a long war. Um, and so I ended up doing all this work with refugee resettlement. And there's a um, Harvard professor that says, you don't really know yourself until you leave your country of origin, until you leave your family of origin. And yeah. to kind of uproot and go to a country where like, it was a legitimate concern of like, where was I gonna get the water and how long was it gonna take me to boil the water to wash my clothes? Definitely like turn things on its head. But um, yeah, that was a, that was a, pretty seminal. I came back, uh, did my doctorate in psychology, but really um, shifted my focus into looking at systems or community or ecological psychology. So like, how do things work together rather than, you know, Johnny has a problem. What's happening in Johnny's neighborhood, in his family, in his school, in his system, in his body. So you understand everything that's driving right. change. Gosh, that was just like kind of a fortuitous thing I fell into in terms of programs. I didn't know about organizational development and there wasn't really leadership psychology back then or positive psychology was just on the forefront. And so that yeah, was my first kind of foray into kind of taking this hacking mindset and starting to say, okay, so how do we think about 
the systems that affect us if we want to create the best possible outcome and figure figuring out how to optimize performance. And um, if I were to look back, one of the smartest things I did, and it was totally by accident, so no credit due, was I did a lot of experiential learning. I like kept on trying micro experiments. Um, I went to a college that had a 414 plan. So the month of January, you took one course and I worked in a state mental health institution in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Um, I did mediation work in San Francisco. I kept on trying these micro experiments to figure out what is it I like, what is it I don't like? This is me, this is not me. Um, and that was that was something that I carried all the way through grad school. I did a lot of mediations. You're no longer partners for life, but your parents for life. How do we mediate this? Did a lot of work in the women's center, did a lot of work in the domestic violence center. And all those, all those experiences kind of like open doors or closed doors to kind of navigate forward. So finished my doctorate. I got a fellowship at the American Psychological Association doing public policy work. I left there to go work for a nonprofit of police chiefs, police executives yes, from law yep. jurisdictions. Mm -hmm. And my first day on the job was 9-11, which is the day that law enforcement changed from hometown security to homeland security. And that just blew up in a whole new um, idea of like, how do you support these public servants who are trying to do the best and optimizing? And that's kind of how I tumbled into uh, leadership development, but it all, all the pieces kind of added up of like understanding systems and understanding what creates a good life and understanding how things work together. And um, I was off to the races. I, I left there and started my company. I guess I left in 2003, started my company in 2004 and um, haven't looked back. It's been fun. <laughs> no, you haven't looked back. So did you feel that courses or teaching or writing books or writing blogs was the best way for you to take what you learn and to give back and to feedback and to educate because you've written a couple of books like rewire so how did that come about and you know did you have a passion for writing or was it more just getting the information out there how did that how did that work <laughs> not only did i not have a passion for writing <laughs> i um i was enrolled in remedial writing when i went to college uh it was definitely not a forte um when i was in doing my doctorate, I remember the professor pulled me in after reading my first paper, the chair of the department, and he said, how the bleep did you get into this program? Like, <laughs> you cannot write to save yeah. your life. How did you do this? Like, he was feeling a little duped. That. Um, so writing definitely was a, a pain point for me. So I will say that my, my practice has evolved drastically over, you know, the last almost 20 years. And I started with working with individuals one-on-one -on -one, and then I worked into groups and doing yes, training yes, and then yeah. I worked into writing and then I worked into keynotes. So every kind of two to three years, I'm adding a new modality, a new way of engaging. Um, writing became this, this gateway inward and gateway outward. So it's almost like I would write to figure out another key component. Um, mm -hmm. A good friend, Katie Ray, who's a Kind of world-renowned um, entrepreneur investor. She's she's um, started at TechStars and she's now at the Engine. She says she whenever she needs to figure something out, she signs up to do a keynote on it because it'll force her to catalyze right. yeah, her thinking. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think there's I think there's some truth to that in in thinking about it. Um, I will say there's something very different from going from writing to publishing, like. 
there was a big from writing about- to publishing what's the difference oh like I wrote like seven books before I published a book which is to, to when you put something out in the world that is like what you believe in your soul mm-hmm. or like core all of a sudden you open up and like you you put a stake in the ground for what you stand for but you open yourself up to an incredible amount of skepticism and criticism and what have you and so it's right it's, uh, right yeah. yeah it's Seth Godin talks about this too that it's it's yeah. Catalytic. So the, the writing. Came so is that more like personal insecurities, or is that just genuinely, you know, what happens? It's a good question. Is it because you had like this self doubt, you know, like, like I feel like sometimes imposter syndrome, but you know, you're going from you know taking your experiences to becoming an author now, so you're officially an author, and so the the backlash, the reviews, the criticism. So was it more of a your own personal um, perception of it, or was it um, something more? Just it just yeah. goes with goes with the um, goes with the job. I think um, I think it's a great question. I will I will say that I hired a friend to read it and do a scathing mm. review of my first book. Like, <laughs> she trashed this book. <laughs> it was like you paid her, and yeah. she was really right on a lot of it. Um, yeah. And so feedback is feedback is one thing, um, but it's and and trying to triangulate on the the emotion behind it, because when you put your words to paper, then people you don't know can take it out of context and and um, critique it. I had that same experience. I did a TEDx talk on um, right. Yeah. A very long link below to that TEDx talk. Great one, by the way. Yeah. Okay. Um, fantastic. Yeah. It it was. Um, when I decided, when I was invited to do a TEDx talk, this was what felt most prescient, like my biggest service to the world was to talk about something that no one was talking about. And that was incredibly isolating to me at the time. And so many people said, oh, Camille, you're missing such a great opportunity. Like you should pitch your business. You should like put something out there. And I was like, no, no, this is like, this is at my sole desire is to help other people along those lines. So to your earlier question, I think there. I think so much of my work is, a, is, is related to service and writing is something you, you do put out there for service. It's also to kind of, you know, I write, you might read it, you might re- write something based on what I inspired you and then you're gonna write something that's gonna inspire someone else. And so it's this kind of nice way that we are woven and interconnected in the world. Um, I will say one thing that came out of the pandemic for me was, um, and it was the pandemic and Black Lives Matter and just this awareness that my work sometimes isn't as accessible to the broader audience just because of the cost and so forth. And so I did create an offering that's really designed to be accessible to folks that's more like a group engagement on how do you accelerate your psychology to be more impactful in business. And so that was a a real call in terms of the public service component, but I see so much of this as this interaction and dialogue and putting things out and hearing back. I'm, I'm curious, your, what is your reaction? Cause you've obviously- Yeah, well, of- I'm just saying what, how I found that about you was from one of the articles you, you'd, you'd published. And, you know, I'm very much in the, you know, trying to understand a little bit more how mindfulness is important and impactful in businesses. Mm. So, you know, with a very, um, pertinent heading to your article about you know the seven 
you know, seven reasons why business are applying mindfulness. And um, so, so when I read it, you know, what I love about this is as I'm getting more involved in mindfulness as it relates to the corporate world, um, to understand, you know, why does anyone care? You know, what impact has it really been having? And we talk about burnout, we talk about stress reduction, we talk about corporate, corporate citizenship, but as it, as it relates to mindfulness. So when I saw your article, which spoke to those things, rather than me speak about this with my friends and say, hey, did you know that, um, you know, I can only list a handful of friends that we can talk about mindfulness uh, <laughs> and the really? workspace. Really? Yeah, I mean, yes, yes. And I think, wow. you know, we can talk about this later, but you know, one of my own personal things like how, how lowly it's been almost this mindfulness journey in the sense where it's like, I do my own meditation and, you know, the benefits. And then I start to explore, speak with these experts, but in the mainstream, it's, it's starting to, you know, to make its name. Yeah. Especially in the, in the corporate world. And so if I can go back, if I made to the article yeah. that, that, that you wrote and, and to, um, I guess to set a bit of context to it. So I read this article and so I'm going to read the first three bullet points. So I think it summarizes nicely, but, so exec executive mindfulness is on the rise across industries. Some organizations are even adding, adding meditation rooms into their offices and campuses. Okay, wow, good to know, had no idea. Mindfulness can decrease stress, mitigate burnout, improve collaborations, drive creativity, and foster stronger workplace cultures. And lastly, you know, in, investing in mindfulness training has been shown to save organizations money and ultimately improve the bottom line. Now I've believed this all along and I, and I hear some stats and stuff here and there, but how did you come about writing this article specifically? And you know, where did you go about getting some of that research for it? And, uh, and what's the response been, you know, since writing that? So I actually, this article actually came from being interviewed by a, a dear friend about a mindfulness article. David Ewing Duncan wrote a mm -hmm. book, wrote an article, um, and I'll, I'll send you the link. Please, so you can please. put it in there. Yeah. Yeah. And he, um, I'm trying to remember where we were, but we were, we were driving as a family and he was like peppering me. This is a really good friend who had never asked me about my professional, professional life. Yeah. And um, he, was, he was deeply engaged. He's a, he's a tech writer. And mindfulness. And so then we started talking about my clients. And what what really drilled in for me was that all of my work triangulates around some level of mindfulness. Oh, really? Helping mm. leaders step back, get mm -hmm. perspective, be able to think differently and more strategically and tactically about you know, what it is they need to do and how they need to operate. And I use this metaphor of an altitude of altitude like thinking of yourself as a helicopter. Sometimes you're on the ground, you're like in the thick of it, you're looking at everything around. Other times you're at 10,000 feet, 20,000 feet, 30,000 feet, 40,000 feet, 50,000 feet. Mm -hmm. And as you move up as a leader, you need to be able to one, get altitude, but mm -hmm. two, be able to choose what is the right altitude that you need for mm -hmm. each problem, each opportunity. And altitude is another gateway into mindfulness. This is the Mindful News Podcast. I'm your host, Guillaume. And in this second half, we talk about yoga, its links to meditation, and my commitment to finally try it out. Dr. Camille also shares what matters most to her. David had like peppered me and then he wanted to hear, 
he wanted me to introduce him to clients that I had done mindfulness. And I, I realized that I, um, every engagement was about deepening self-awareness and the idea of vertical development. How do I grow the leader so that they can be more impactful? But oftentimes it was like triangulating around the topic. Like I never tell my clients, you need to sit and meditate for five mm -hmm. minutes or 20 minutes or do this program or what have you. But it was all about deepening that sense of awareness. And so then it started looking at, it drove me to start to look at my clients and what are they thinking about and how are sure. they getting mindfulness? And so um, that was the, that was the gateway into that article. And what I realized is that we're kind of at this nexus point of people don't want to go back to life as they knew it. People don't want to go back to kind of the workplace in office grind. And the, the choices are really, there's an abundance of choices, but they all come from a, a stilling and a listening inward to cultivate that. I'm curious, are you seeing the same thing in terms of transitions? Well, what I am seeing is a more of a understanding as to what mindfulness is. Mm. And, you know, the perception of mindfulness being something that's perhaps a Buddhist tradition or something more hippy dippy. It's like now with the science backing up, it's like every, every one of us, from the moment we make up with, from the moment we wake up with thinking all day long to the tune of 70,000 thoughts a day. Mm -hmm. And what that equates to as well is like, well, most of the, most of your waking hours, you're lost in thought. And what does that mean? So when you're lost in thought, it's now you're no longer in the driving seat. You're just letting a random thought that arises take control, almost hijack the situation. You, you might be at the dinner table wanting to have dinner with your family. Mm -hmm. And you're there, you know, you start a conversation and all of a sudden it's the meeting tomorrow. It's the presentation next week. It's the, you know, it's the to-do list that arises. And so it's taken you away from what your intention was. And my intention was to be present and enjoy the moment with my family. But now I'm, and before it'd be like, okay, well, that's just the way it is too bad. But in fact, it's like, oh no, if your intention was in this meal with your family or watching a movie or writing an email or reading a book was to do that, mm -hmm. then how, how do we put up our defenses or how do we you know, remediate for all the thoughts that will be arising in that time. Well, first be aware that thoughts do constantly arise. Okay, well, that's not just for me. That's just a fact. Thoughts are going to constantly arise. And you know what? They're probably going to be repetitive. Mm -hmm. They're probably going to be about to-do lists in the future or stuff in the past. And with that insight, it's like, okay, well, now that I'm aware of it, when it does arise, ah, I see you. But for now, I'm going to go back to being at dinner with my family. I'm going to go back to the movie. And so it's the mindfulness that helps us see that because it, it trains us in like the wax on, wax off, like the karate kid. We do like a 10 minute, 15 minute formal practice so that as the thoughts arise, it's like, we see you, the first push up, but we bring it back to the, the anchor. And for most people, it's about the breath see back to that and so that repeated motion and that 10-15 minutes is is so that throughout the rest of the day where the real 
where the real meditation mm -hmm. lives that's oh we've strengthened that that practice so that as we're in a conversation or we're watching a movie or reading a book or writing that email and it's like a distraction arises does it have to hijack the situation do i have to follow it or can i notice it and with kindness bring myself back to whatever it was i was doing and then we and start you, yeah okay. go ahead you what you're saying is self-awareness self-regulation self-awareness self-regulation self-awareness of thought is arising exactly yeah Exactly, identifying it and then doing and then remediating, do some, doing something about it. Because if not, you're, which is like, it's like it's a um, an, an incredible revelation that we spend so much of our time just daydreaming, where in fact it's like, yeah, in that daydream there is actually choice. And, the more and we I would say not even daydreaming, just like numbing, day numbing. Because like For sure. if you're daydreaming and having a blast, I'd be like, yeah, I have at it. But like, oh yeah, yeah. exactly. But if you if you see that and you want it, then encourage it. But if mm -hmm. you didn't want it and you didn't choose it for Tibet and you don't enjoy that particular moment at the same time, rather than yeah, because you absolutely if you're enjoying it, embrace it. Why not? But if you're not enjoying it, and that wasn't your choice. Uh, now we can do something about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's interesting that self-awareness, self-regulation, that's the foundation of what we call emotional intelligence, which is yep, the foundation right. of leadership. And so this is kind of where your work and our work, like <laughs> the, the intersectionality. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And that same self-awareness, self-regulation shows up in a business meeting when you're trying to get airtime, shows up when you're trying to influence people, it shows up when you're trying to figure out how to merge into traffic. It's It's all these little micro moments of time Bringing brought back into that yes yeah that centered grounded place and there's a lot of forces working against us I will say like yeah. emails and phone calls social and, media and yeah props. yeah <laughs> yeah exactly so how did you particularly get introduced to mindfulness and the concept of meditation and you know how did that impact your life your teaching etc. It's a good question. Um, I did some some training with Shambhala, but the the gateway. The what what powerful, Shambhala? What Shambhala? Um, Shambhala is a secular meditation, so it's so, a secular. A of, okay. A yeah. lot of the kind of Buddhist practices with, without any kind of religion associated yeah, with yeah. it. They had a, a center in DC where I was living at the time, but the the biggest gateway for me has has been uh, on the mat on the yoga mat, and there's something about the mindfulness. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that there's intersectionality between movement and head and heart and spirituality and it's all coming together and so mm -hmm. um there was a woman who ran a, a yoga studio in dc called um uh, the studio was called down dog and the two, the the person who ran it was patty ivy and man i i left a lot of prana on my mat i um sweat right. out a lot of different times in life on that mat and and even to this day, when my mind is busy, and this might resonate for a bunch of your um, your listeners, sometimes mm. movement for some people, movement is a easier gateway in. I um I know that I and a number of my clients, you tell them to sit in, on a cushion, they're more likely to flip you the bird than sit on the cushion. Um, yeah. And and so telling someone to take a mindful walk listening to music without words or mm. um, to to do an asana like is often a, can be a gateway in 
to yes. more centered space that um, that gets them back into the breath, gets them back into the the mental stillness. That is what I think is so yeah. enriching. Yeah, I so many times when I talk about mindfulness, people yoga gets thrown in. I've never done it. I've never tried it. What? But, <laughs> But you know what? I always suffer from like stiff back. I play badminton like three, four times a week. And because I meditate regularly, it's like, yeah, you know, yoga is the, it just makes so much sense. So can you explain for someone like me that's never tried yoga, but, you know, a heavy practitioner in my mindfulness, what, what is the cross section? Now you, you, you begin to speak a little bit about it there, right? Yeah. Is it because some people get to understand the concepts of mindfulness through yoga rather than you know they don't like the idea of sitting on a mat but you know through holding postures or something it allows them that space to be mindful so i will say before i dive in my father who my greatest teacher one of my closest friends like just the most amazing man he's he's passed um probably seven years ago seven and a bit years ago and he said one of his he had three regrets in life and one of them was that he waited till he was 70 to pick up yoga yeah so <laughs> there's a there's a testament for and he was not a he was not a wiry man he was not a flexible man um so there what is it about yoga i think that's a, such a great question um yeah because i it's so heavily related you know you go into groups about mindfulness there's there's a massive part of that mindfulness group that is yoga or they mm-hmm. learn mindfulness through yoga or there's a you know that connotation so yeah i'd, lo- I'd love to like learn a little bit more about that so I'm, I'm sure there's a technical answer to this, but I'm going to tell you my answer because I this, yeah, this is more from my heart or what, what yeah, my, yeah. My, my, my experience. Um, there is something to m- moving through a consistent set of practices where you are opening your body, opening your breath, and, and, and bringing your full consciousness onto the mat and the the yogic practice is part mental i'm here now doing this one posture right here right now it's part physical like i like i like hot yoga so like it can be hard just to stay on the mat in the heat in that one posture so there's a there's a mental here now there's a physical taxing and a physical kind of pushing up against like a pain endurance almost um yeah, I mean, I love to telemark. I love, I run marathons. It's not that type of pain, but more kind of, um, it's almost like, how do I hold myself to the highest standard of what I think I'm capable of and push up against my edge? And so when I'm practicing in a way that feels really congruent, it um, I'm stretching my own conception. So I'm going to, can I do a quick like teach piece? Please, please, yeah, yeah, please. So, um, you know, I came to leadership working with police, police executives, police chiefs from large jurisdictions. And it was true. We ate a lot more donuts. Thursday was donut day. So uh, I like the chocolate cake donut. We get up a little extra early to get there. Um, if, so if you think of a donut, the donut hole is your comfort zone. Everything's safe, easy, familiar. You can be unconscious. The donut is your actual learning zone where you're trying new things. You're pushing your envelope. You're learning new skills. And the outer edge of the donut is where you hit terror's edge, where you hit analysis paralysis. We can live on that outer edge, 
but if we live on that outer edge for too long, it's where we hit burnout. It's where we hit breakdown. It's where we hit analysis paralysis. So my goal when I'm working with people is to keep them in the donut where they're growing and they're learning and they're trying new things, but not hitting that breakdown point. Because if you live in your learning zone and it's here, that learning zone soon becomes your comfort zone. And so your donut keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. And your so the donut is your comfort zone, right? And when you go beyond that, the, that's the edges. No, the, the hole donut. is your comfort zone. Okay, the so the, donut, the hole is the comfort zone, okay. And, and so like a way you can think about that is um, if you've ever had the experience of like remembering when you left your home and remembering mm -hmm. when you get to the office, but you don't remember the commute, mm -hmm. that's your comfort zone. That's where you went unconscious because you didn't need to think about it. It's so easy and so familiar. Yeah. Your learning zone is where you have to put attention and intention to thinking about, okay, where am I going? How am I getting there? Mm. Yeah. Um, Tara's edge for me was driving in Vietnam. We're driving on the opposite side of the road, like these roundabouts with six lanes of traffic and like people drawing carts, donkey drawn carts, bike drawn carts. I mean, it was just, it was mayhem. That's yeah. where I hit analysis. Paralysis. Mine was crossing the road in Vietnam. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you also driving. Mine was actually crossing the road in Vietnam. Yeah, but yeah. It's crazy. It is, yeah. it is. Yeah. I, and then not to mention like they don't have, they have a different alphabet. So like totally yeah. off the, the radar there. Yeah. Um, yeah. But if you think about it, like if you live in your in the learning zone, your learning zone becomes your comfort zone and your your donut yes, expands. Yes. Yeah. So when you are in yoga on the mat and you push up against your edge and you're holding a posture and you're stretching a little bit more and you're kind of you're walking that razor edge of like what am I capable of and what I'm not capable of, mm -hmm. and each time you hold that edge a little bit longer you build your capacity. It's the same way like with mindfulness that you build each time you come back to your breath, you build your capacity. Yeah. So there's something about being on the mat because you have all those emotions coming up, especially if it's a, it's a challenging, you're, you're pushing your physical kind of conception. And then when you invest in your body and your mind and your physical and your emotional, you're building your spiritual intelligence, mm, right? Like you're yes, building yeah. your prana or your capacity to go out and serve in the world. And then there's this whole other thing that, gosh, I was, I'm just missing in such a big way of like being on the mat next to people. And so I the community aspect of it is important then. Yeah. For some people, I mean, I've, 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 I've really missed that. I really miss that. And really? Okay. I can tell you, Interesting. Yeah. I can tell you I've been on the mat sometimes and like going through an incredible like breakup. And I have felt the people beside me carry me. Really? Yeah, like just really? like carry my energy through. And then I've been on the mat and I've been carrying someone else's load and chopping their water and carrying their water. And, and, and these are strangers, but yet there's this like, this interesting like intersectionality. Connection, Connection yeah. And this is where I think the work that you're leaning into of like corporate meditation mm. is providing people skills and experiences and community and language where they can be in relationship with each other in a different way mm. that opens up a whole new set of possibilities. And, you know, we're going through that great resignation. It's so overdone, but people want something different. And I think whether it's mindfulness practices or a way of engaging on the mat of life differently with people, People want that level of authenticity, that connectedness, that kind yeah. of synergies. That's 
Sorry, I got you got me on my Camilleisms. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, perfect. So, Exciting. so, so the way that you're describing it, would you, if you were to encourage mindfulness, would you do it in in combination with yoga as well? You know, for you, do they seem very hand in hand, or is it? You know, is it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Would you prescribe um, that almost hand in hand? Or is it, do they each have their own space and their own benefits? It brings me back to that article, David's like, so do you assign mindfulness? And I was like, no, I never assign mindfulness because yeah. I, people can react to it differently. Yeah. But here's an example of, um, I did a keynote on gender, the neuroscience mm -hmm. of gender differences. It's, it's, um, it's, you know, International Women's Month and, um, one way you can link people in is by saying, I want you to take a moment and I want you to think about a woman you feel deeply passionate about, someone you want to thrive in the world, mm -hmm. right? That's like this moment of mindfulness where people are centering on one thing that they care most, mm -hmm. one woman. And then I launch into talking about the neuroscience of gender differences. They can hear it through a very different set of lenses because they've they've kind of primed their mind and opened their heart to a different right. set of yeah. mm -hmm. a kind of a communal rather than an individual. Mm. So to your question, there's so many gateways. <laughs> I think you have to figure out what's right for you and the individual. The, the other nugget is, um, I have little people, I have a six and an eight year old, so they're just delightful. Um, but you have to figure out what's the right size step for them and you know, finding the right size step. So it's a little bit of a stretch. So it's in their learning zone, but not such a big stretch that they're going to yeah, be like, not too off-putting. Yeah. You don't know, like, yeah, I've got a two and a five year old. And, uh... <laughs> such a fun age. And such a, such a busy age, man. I mean, that's like yeah. a lot to be mindful to. Um, kids are such a gift of mindfulness. They will yeah. give you feedback like that. If you are not present. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Well, as John Gabbard Sin um, says, like they are the best mindfulness teachers, you know, the young ones, you know, and they're just yeah. like, you can just see them so present in everything that they do. It's truly. So, can a, I tell you a quick nugget? Yeah, please, on that? please, please. Um, so, I was just, I've been um, in this year long program studying with an integrative MD, and it's been just, just an incredibly captivating experience. And um, so, this past weekend, my husband and I were wrapping up, it was a virtual program with all that's going mm -hmm. on. And we had some friends come by. We had some favorite babysitters hanging out with our kids. And my daughter, like I opened my door and she just wanted to snuggle. She just, she's sick. Yeah, yeah. She just like physically wanted to be attached to me. Yeah. And I took that as like feedback that she could feel all oh, my mindfulness over the weekend had bottled up. And she was like, I want, I don't, I don't know what it is, but like quality. Yeah. I want yeah. some of that. I, I think people will start for the work that you're doing. I think the most, not the most, but one absolutely captivating thing is when you shift yourself, mm -hmm. the face you present is the face you receive. When you shift yourself right. and bring it out into the world, people start responding differently and it becomes mm -hmm. this like catalytic, fulfilling, synergistic wow. mm -hmm. addiction in the best kind of way. I'm sure you've had this experience too. Yeah, and I, I think that's why when people ask me about the ultimate benefits of mindfulness, I'm like, it's just happiness. It's just like, you know, 
connection with your colleagues, connection with your friends, but with your family, you know, to let, to be more authentic. So that, like you said, like your daughter can tap into that and just want to be a part of it as well. And that's what I'm trying to be. I'm just trying to be as true to myself. And I want to wear my emotions on my sleeve. I want to be, to be genuine, you know, beyond the ego and, and try and be as positive and helpful as I can be. So, yeah, yeah I think to your point, you know, very much so. It's such a journey and such a, such a, um, I don't think of it as a destination, but as a, a lifelong journey towards that. It is a, it's all about the journey, right? Well, speaking of your journey, so if I would say to you, you know, what, what matters most to you, you know, given your, your mm -hmm. immense education, you know, your travel, and I'm sure there's been some highs and some lows, there's been some TED Talks, you know, there's been some... Mm -hmm some Forbes magazine and, you know, releasing your books and publishing them. But at the same time, I'm sure there's been a heartbreak and, and pain and suffering along the way. What for you, what, what for you matters most? Such an interesting question. I think it's a relationship. I think it's the heart center and the relationships that come from that. Um, we all, we all go through highs and lows. Mm -hmm. And um, what, I'm, what I'm most in touch with now is when I'm in my heart center, when I've done my mindfulness practices, um, just things feel, I feel, I feel enlivened and things feel much brighter. Um, and I'll, I'll give you an example. I, so my daughter's godparents have been away from us for almost two years and we saw them on Saturday night. And all I could say was like, it's just I'm like, it was just, we had a delicious dinner, but I was eating in being in the presence of loved yes. ones. And yeah. last night I hosted a, um, a virtual baby shower for a friend, a former really? client, dear friend. And mm. God, my heart was so satiated by the connectivity even though we were at a distance. Um, and so I'd say it's the connections, the relationships and um, the possibility mm -hmm. of all that's becoming that is, um, yeah. Yeah. It's, well, it's, it's awesome, you know, relationships is one that I hear over and over again. And I think because, yeah, even in the Harvard study, they did that 75 year research and you know, they had all these, they researched these nurseries and elementary schools and, you know, was it the ones that had, you know, the most wealth or, you know, come, came from a good socioeconomic background that would then go on. Was that the determining factor on how successful, or not successful, but how happy, um, you know, the well-being of their lives later on. And it was always, always the ones that had the best relationships. That was the best indicator as to, you know, as far as thriving and, you know, happiness, et cetera. That was I always think there's there. a nuance in here that you and I both understand, but I think is worth saying that that relationship starts with ourselves. Like what is our relationship with ourselves? Mm -hmm. um, my dad, again, amazing soul used to say, Cam, the, dis the difference between solitude and loneliness is your perception of who you're alone with? Yes, yeah, yeah. and who made the choice? <laughs> yeah, and exactly. So, like, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, saying like, I'm saying, like, you see this, the, the, you know, someone goes to prison and they go, like, you, you got two days of solitary. 
there's some people like you know the junk covers in that can go in there it's like you know you just given me like a two-day retreat thank you so much and it's all about the you know the interpretation of that moment and you know how you perceive that moment because for some it could be prison for others it could be like absolute bliss just the ability to like you know do what they love doing so yeah absolutely yeah and and then you always have wherever you go you always is there there's a saying wherever you go you always bring yourself and yeah, so there you are yeah yeah, yeah. there you are D deepening yes, that yeah. inner relationship um becomes a gateway into into so much other richness and curiosity and and then you know <laughs> i always joke like me myself and i are always together so like <laughs> might as well make friends with them <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly out. yep yep well that's truly wonderful i mean thank you so much for sharing your insights with us today and um like i said i've never tried yoga but this conversation has truly got me like let me experience that that other piece of this puzzle that I hear spoken of so much. And, um, you know, I'd love to get your feedback when I come back to you in a couple of months and say, you know, this has been my learning and my, you know, cause not only for the physical side of it, cause I think physically it will help massively, but just that connection to, you know, that mind body part that you were mm -hmm. speaking of, I would love to understand and explore, is there any truth to that from my perspective and, you know, and give some feedback on that. But well, if I right there is, is yeah, yeah, spend please. a little time, um, be intentional or be purposeful in the instructor you select, because I think that right. there's a wide range of, of mm -hmm. instructors. So that's one thing is, is pick your instructor well. Um, and the other thing I often encourage people to do is do it in community, because there's a lot that we learn through others. And then don't be shy to do a couple classes and then find a class where they might do what's called physical assists where they'll like open your shoulders and you'll be like oh it's a different pose when I go from here to here right? yeah 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 okay. connectivity so that at the granular level yeah yeah okay yeah because that's the same yes. thing the nuances is. you spoke of yeah yeah, yeah the do tell me how you, how it goes I'll be very curious no no absolutely absolutely so if one of our listeners wants to not only access the article that you wrote that, that I stumbled across, but to find out a little bit more about you, I know you have a website, so please go ahead and you know let our listeners know where they can get in touch with you, find out more about some of the, the work in your books. Yeah, fantastic. So the website is aimleadership.com, A-I-M leadership. And mm -hmm. actually given the focus of this conversation, AIM stands for Awaken Inner Mastery. And this idea that we're all on a journey of inquiry to figure out the, a better version of ourselves. We have a wealth of resources where we work to distill concepts into like two or three pages. So that's an easy gateway for folks who want to learn more. Follow me on LinkedIn because we have a ton of resources. We put a lot of articles there. We're publishing a lot for um, on Facebook and we'll put some of those in the in the show notes. Perfect. We'll add in something on altitude. And then please reach out. I'm always curious to hear what resonates for folks. And, and then also if you're not finding things that I've written on, like I would love to hear what you're sitting with what are the questions because yes. that that stimulates me and my curiosity and and i'm just so grateful that people are leaning into the curiosity because there is that incredible connection up between psychology and mindfulness and wellness and impact it's it's all interwoven together it is it is thanks for making it this far and showing your support and love to the podcast a big thanks to be present coaching for their support 
Find out about their masterclass mindfulness courses at bepresent.uk. I'm your host, Guillaume, and this is the Mindful News Podcast. Again, if you've taken away something from this episode, please go ahead and share the link with a friend. Until next week. Thank you.